Tim Stowell, everyone. <laughs> Sorry, yes. Which Tim? This Tim. Uh, I'd love us to welcome Jago. Jago, come and uh, join me here. Actually, you, you have this. This is Jago Wynn. He's married to Susanna. He's got four children, Daisy, Boaz... Hope and Theo. Hope and Theo. I got there in the end. Uh, Jacob, just tell yeah, we'd love to know a little bit about yourself. Where, where were you kind of born? Where did you grow up? Um, first of all, it's really, really lovely to be here. I know a few faces, not many, but hopefully I'll get to know more of you over the next 24 hours. But um, it's a real treat to be here. Where did I grow, uh, grow up? I was born in Birmingham, but as you can tell by my, by my accent, I didn't spend a lot of time in Birmingham. Um, and at the age of two, um, as a family, uh, we moved to pretty near here, about 20 minutes away uh, from here. So I grew up in a little village called Brimpton uh, near here. Um, when I was... At uh, seven, I went to a little uh, school near there. had um, some good teachers, some bad teachers, uh, some indifferent teachers. Um, but in my first year, there were two uh, teachers who they were called the junior masters, and they were on their gap year at school. And one was, if I remember rightly, I, and I may have got my years muddled, but one of them, one of them was quite scary, and he was called Mr. Key. And um, uh, he... He, he, was, he was a bit of a nightmare when it sort of came to playing rugby, and I remember crying as I was being made to run around the pitch when it was, there was snow on the ground. So Mr. Key was a bit of a nightmare. There was another one that was, um, that was slightly nicer, and his name was Mr. Stillwell. <laughs> when I was age seven. Yeah, there you go, or eight. There you go. There yeah, you so go. He's, he's only 25. I'm 41. How old are you? Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Good for you, Jago. Good for you. Yeah. So after you left school, having been so well educated, <laughs> yeah. no, but because when we when we sort of remet, as it were, you you, it was you, a very, of, you, were, you were battling with calling me Mr. Stillwell. Even though I was. It was a tough time. Sure. It was I, when I, I started. Um, my, I did my curacy after training as a vicar in um, Oxford. I did my curacy at HDB, um, and uh, it was about sort of week two at HDB, and there was uh, some big meeting of all the sort of HDB network churches. And I came up to him, and he didn't have a clue who I was. And I said, "You used to be my teacher." <laughs> <laughs> I remember it well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then, so yeah, what happened then? Um, so, well, yeah, after uh, school, um, I did geography at university. Uh, as a jog- doing a geography degree doesn't qualify you for a lot. Um, so I uh, looked around what I might do after doing a geography degree and thought management consultancy sounded quite interesting. So I applied for lots of management consultancy jobs uh, in my last year at university and applied for lots and got rejected by lots but got accepted by one uh, for a company called Accenture that some of you may have heard of. And so I was a management consultant at Accenture um, for about five years. And... Um, I, I was a financial strategy consultant, but actually a lot of the time worked in an internal think tank there, uh, writing reports and speeches for the international chairman on sort of things like entrepreneurship in business and corporate social responsibility. And the, there's all the stuff in Davos at the moment, the World Economic Forum. I was Accenture's program manager of our relationship with the World Economic Forum. So I went to the World Economic Forum for a couple of years, sort of as a glorified bag carrier, basically, for the CEO and the chairman and sort of preparing their speeches and their briefing notes and things like that. So it's important to know that, although you're a vicar now, you have had a proper job. I have. And <laughs> now it's not a proper job at all. Because <laughs> well, you what do you do now? Uh, so now I am, I'm the rector of Holy Trinity Clapham, so um, a church in Clapham. Uh, so I was at HDB for a couple of years and then did very similar to, in essence, what's happened at St. D's, a church graft. And um, I led a group of about 50 people uh, to go and start up an evening service at Holy Trinity Clapham. That was five years ago. Um, and I guess the big difference is when... Uh, Pat came to St. D's. Tim was still very young. Um, but um, uh, <laughs> uh, when I, Why is when that funny? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but when I went to Heidi Trinity Clapham, the, the rector, I went as the associate rector, and the rector there was a, a guy called David Ishwood, but he was, he was close to retirement. And then, uh, so I was the associate rector for three years and then took over from him when he retired a couple of years ago. Yeah, Pat tried that, but... It's yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he left. <laughs> <laughs> He's thriving. He's thriving at St Peter's. He's doing really well. Um, you've written a book, I've Working written, written Without Wilting, Jago Wynn. I really recommend this. Fantastic book. Just, I love the metaphors that you use to make it very accessible. Um, tell us, why did you write this? Um, why did I write that? I, well, let me t- I guess there was a... Um, between, I'll tell you the, real, the, the reason it started was because between, um, between finishing university and starting Accenture, I went on a, a Stewards Trust summer house party. Uh, Sue Gain, I don't know if Sue's here, but... Um, uh, where, is Sue here? I don't know. She will be. She will she, be. Anyway, yeah, so yeah. Sue, Sue was on that uh, tw- 20 years ago. And um, on, this, on this summer house party, I was sort of in the 18 to 30 section of it, if you like. Uh, but I remember distinctly one afternoon, uh, a friend and I decided we would go to the seminar for those who were over 30. And the seminar was on being a Christian in the workplace. And I can remember that seminar vividly 20 years on uh, because it was one of the most depressing things that I've ever been to in my life. Uh, <laughs> And it was the most depressing because there were all these people in the seminar and they were, they were mainly men and they were mainly sort of in their 40s and 50s. And they were basically these people that I really respected. I looked up to, I thought these are these amazing Christian godly guys that I would love to be like in years to come. And actually, as I heard them speak, so many of them would just give all these reasons and excuses why they could, if you like, be full on for Jesus on a Sunday, uh, but sideline him during the week. And it really shocked me. And... Almost then, there was, there was quite a time of sort of wrestle with God and almost vowing with God, please, Lord, as I go into being a management consultant, may I never end up like those men uh, where I'm compartmentalizing my life and not living a life uh, of integrity. And it was, it was a really striking thing for me as I went into the workplace uh, to, to Accenture, but also actually sort of as I was, spent my time at Accenture and I was thinking more and more, the, the sort of question whirring around my head always as I was at Accenture was with who God's made me to be how can I best serve him? Uh, with who God's made me to be, how can I best serve him? And I love being a management consultant. I had a great time there. Uh, but I was weighing up, and other people were sort of giving advice in, into my life. Should I be long-term a management consultant or, long, or think about going to be a vicar and being long-term being a vicar? And eventually felt that God was guiding me to be a vicar. But Susanna, my wife, we, um, we got married halfway through my time as a management consultant. Uh, she always said, I really feel that if you go and work for a church, the first thing you should do is do something where you are directly helping people connect their faith to their day-to-day work um, because it was such a passion of mine. And actually then God, amazingly, um, All Souls Langham Place, a church um, just next to the BBC on Regent Street, uh, they got in touch with me. I'd never been to that church before. They said, would you think of applying to be our workplace minister uh, to run two lunchtime services, uh, reaching out to people who work in the West End? And so that's what I went and did. So after, straight after being at Accenture, I went and worked at All Souls for five years, helping people to connect their faith uh, to their work. And I did that before training to be a vicar. And it was at the end of my time there uh, that I wrote that book. So that was quite a long answer for how I wrote that book. No, it's <laughs> really helpful background, Jago. Thank you. And actually, having heard you speak, I just heartily commend Jago for this weekend. Thank you so much for, for coming and giving your time. You, you're brilliant at connecting faith with everyday life. So we're so looking forward to, to feeding uh, on God's word with you. Let me pray as, uh, as you just tee up the weekend. Father, thank you so much for Jago. And, and we thank you for Susanna and the kids for uh, giving him to us for this 24 hours. Bless him, Lord. I pray as he gives out to us, 
you would give back to him, bless him, refresh him, restore him and his vision for who he is and what you've called him to do. And use him, Lord, now to equip us with who you've made each of us to be, that we might live lives that glorify you in the 24-7 of our daily lives. Bless him now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. I literally, I'm only going to speak for three or four minutes now, um, just to try and sort of tee things up. And really, um, as you've probably read and Tim's uh, said, um, sort of, I've been asked to speak about God at work and God in the workplace, and and, be, and how does our work relate to our faith? And um, really, that story I told you in terms of um, at the at the house party and just seeing all these men um, lacking in integrity. And yes, I'm speaking about work uh, in the three sessions tomorrow, but I guess underneath that, the one word I'd like you to just be thinking about and praying into for tomorrow is the word integrity. Uh, what does it look like for you uh, to be a person of integrity? What does it look like for you to be the same person in church on a Sunday as it is with whatever you get up to during the week? What does it look like for you to be the same person on the outside as what's going on in your heart? What does it look like to be a person of integrity? Um, I'm going to look at various verses um, uh, tomorrow, but one um, verse that's, I guess it's probably my favorite verse in the Bible, is um, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, that says, uh, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, uh, do it all for the glory of God. And um, just gonna, if we just have the, Josh, the slide up from um, John Venn. So this guy, John Venn, he was the rector of Holy Trinity Clapham, uh, a long time ago, 200-odd um, years ago. Um, you may know the sort of the history of Holy Trinity Clapham is where William Wilberforce and the Clapham sect worshipped when they were working for the abolition of the slave trade. And John Venn was the rector at that time, an amazing man. And uh, this is part of his sermon that he wrote uh, and gave on that verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. And he said this. He said, Religion is not merely an act of homage paid upon our bended knees to God. It's not confined to the closet in the church nor is it restrained to the hours of the Sabbath. It is a general principle extended to a person's whole conduct in every transaction and in every place. I know no mistake which is more dangerous than that which lays down devotional feelings alone as the test of true religion. Till our Christianity appears in our conversation, in our business, in our pleasures, in the aims and objects of our life, we have not attained to a conformity to the image of our Saviour, nor have we learned his gospel are right. It's an amazing um, statement, uh, an amazing challenge, and obviously, as you think about that, those statements, and think about William Wilberforce and the Clapham sect, they were perhaps perhaps the people in the last three hundred years that have best exemplified that that integrity of uh, living out one's faith in one's day-to-day life, in one's business, in our pleasures, in our aims and objects of life. And I guess that's the thing I'd love us to be thinking about, to be praying about uh, for uh, tomorrow. Um, I, I remember once a, um, a friend of mine going, with his wife, going to supper um, with some friends, and they took their baby along, they had a little baby. And uh, they took the baby along with the travel cot, they shoved the baby in the travel cot in some separate room, and they had their supper, and it was a bit of a boring supper. And uh, during pudding, the baby started crying. And so both him and his wife, they went into the room uh, where the baby was crying and was trying to sort of sort the baby out and settle them. And basically they got talking. They said, look, let's, let's try and make a quick exit. It's a bit of a boring conversation. Um, just we need, to get, we need to go as fast as possible. 
And when they walked back into the kitchen, there was a bit of an awkward situation, and they realised that the baby monitor was on. Uh, um, and everything that they'd been saying had been heard. And um, if you like, integrity is a bit like that. Um, it, it is, it, when we are disintegrated, it begins to show up. Um, C.S. Lewis um, said a famous thing. Uh, he said, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. And I want to put it to you that all of us will have, we'll all have heroes in the Christian faith. I don't know who your heroes in the Christian faith are, um, but I reckon that whoever your hero in the Christian faith is, whoever you look up to as a Christian, the reason you will look up to them is because they're a person of integrity. Because who you see is what you get. Because how they act in one situation is the same as how they act in another situation. Because who they are on the outside is who, what's going on in the inside. For me, if I were to tell you my two uh, heroes, uh, my hero of the Christian faith, if you like, from the 20th and 21st century is a man called John Stott. Um, now, many of you have read books by John Stott or commentaries by John Stott. He used to be the rector of All Souls Langham Place, where I worked. I had the real privilege of um, uh, working with him uh, before he died. And uh, he was an amazing man. But as I look back at why he is such a hero to me, it isn't because he wrote all these amazing commentaries or all these amazing books. It was actually because of who he was and his kindness and his, who he was as a person, his integrity. There was a book written about him after um, he died, and um, uh, Chris Wright, who's a theologian, said this about John Stott. He said, like a, st- a seaside stick of rock, he was the same all the way through. It seemed that wherever you might break him open, the lettering would be the same. The message of his life and his words was consistent. And I'd echo that. that. When I look at someone who's a hero of mine, it's their integrity is why they're a hero. Or I think of my um, hero from the 18th and 19th centuries, um, William Wilberforce. Uh, if I think about him, obviously we know uh, all about him, all that he achieved with the abolition of the slave trade. Yet when I investigated him a bit further, and obviously I've done that a little bit, he was in the church that I'm now the pastor of, uh, as I sort of read biographies about him, what struck me as so amazing about him Yes, he did all those incredible things, but actually as you read about him, particularly as you read his sort of prayer journals, which you can read, is just actually who he was as a man, the way he treated his children, uh, the way he wrestled with spending time with God, uh, just actually who he was as a person. Uh, William Haig, um, the politician, um, William Haig's written a, a biography about Wilberforce, and it's a great biography about Wilberforce, but William Haig, the very last... Um, sentence of the biography. I'm not sure if you've got a slide for that one. No, let me just um, find it here. Um, Let me just read the very last um, sentence of William Haig's entire biography. He says this of Wilberforce. He says, Wilberforce's pursuit of a broad and uplifting vision of society elevates him far above the general rank of politicians. But the fact that he managed to live according to his own principles and constantly reflect his beliefs in his own character is his crowning glory. There's Haig. He studied and, and written a whole book on Wilberforce and all his amazing achievements. But he says, what is the one thing that makes him stand out about everyone else? Actually, he managed to live according to his principles and constantly reflect his beliefs in his own character. And so I would love 
us to just think a little bit more on the whole subject of integrity, particularly as we think of that in the context of our work, whatever work it is that you may get up to, whether that work uh, is in an office, a shop, a university, a school, uh, whether it's paid or unpaid, whether it's work in a home, wherever it might be, um, how can we be people of integrity, particularly thinking about our work context? And I pray and I hope, actually, that the three sessions tomorrow, that they would encourage you and um, spur you on and help you and equip you in the power of God's spirit to be people more and more displaying integrity. So shall I pray? Let's pray. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And Lord Jesus, we praise you that we can gather together like this. And as we gather together like this, that you are amongst us by your spirit, that you're working in us by your spirit. And Lord Jesus, we confess that each one of us in different ways, we know how disintegrated our lives are. We say we need your help. And please, would you fill us with your spirit afresh? Would your word speak deep into our very beings? And would you enable us to be those who are people of integrity? Would there be a closer and closer matching between our beliefs and our actions, we pray? And we say we need your help for that. And so we ask it for your glory. Amen. Amen. Wonderful, Jago. Thank you so much.